0: There's a story told of a meeting Napoleon was having with his generals as he was growing in power and they were looking at a map talking about their plans to invade Russia. As he was standing by the map with his generals and they were looking at it, the generals noticed China further to the east and asked Napoleon what he thought of China. And here here was his response Gentlemen, there lies a sleeping giant. Let her sleep, for if she wakens, she will shake the world. I've always loved that quote. It's an interesting thought of a sleeping giant, it speaks of all the potential. And yet it also speaks of that potential currently going untapped. Well, I'm not here to talk about China today or Napoleon. I am here to talk about a sleeping giant. Because I think in some ways that might be what we're sitting in today. Not just this congregation, but the church in the United States today. It's a very interesting time for the church, and I realize a lot of you may not spend a ton of time thinking about the church in the U.S. today. But because of what I do for a living, I do. And it interests me, and I read about it, and I watch, and I hear stories, and I talk to other pastors, and I talk to other Christians. And we are living in a very interesting time as Christians in our churches in the U.S. today. There was a time when the church seemed very powerful in this country, and it was a leading factor in any community and what was going on, and it was built at the center of the community. And what went on there affected the whole community. But we don't live in that day anymore, do we? In fact, it seems like in the community there is less and less interest in the church. And at times, almost a mistrust or an antagonism between people in the community and the church. And while we watch a few mega-churches grow, in general, the church and the population in the church, as a part of our population in our country, is shrinking. And especially if you go into younger and younger generations that percent becomes smaller and smaller and at times the church reacts by just saying we will meet for ourselves and we will take care of ourselves and have programs for ourselves if the community is not interested in us or what we have to say and many churches no longer expect the community to be interested it wasn't always that way and I want us to see that today I want us to see a different picture of the church as not a sleeping giant but as something very different turn over with me to Acts 4 because we have a picture there of what it was like when the church was new and all this was fresh and before we read this passage I need to set the context this is in the very beginning of the church It's only been meeting for maybe a few weeks or months. Jesus has ascended into heaven, the day of Pentecost has happened and the church has begun. But immediately it faces persecution and opposition. And the religious leaders do not want the church to move forward and grow. It's seen as a heresy. And Peter and John have been arrested and brought before the religious leaders, the city leaders of Jerusalem, They have been threatened, they have been beaten, and they have been told to go home and shut up. And so with their scars, their wounds, whatever condition they were in after their beating, they left and they gathered together with the other Christians. And it was clearly a time for those brand new Christians. No buildings, no structures, nothing that we depend on for the church. And they got together, and as we saw last week, they prayed. Because that was their first response to everything. And this is their prayer. Read along with me in Acts 4. Start with verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed prayed that prayer, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The church was not a sleeping giant in Jerusalem in 33 AD. It was, in fact, an unstoppable force. And no matter what the religious establishment tried to do, that church moved forward. The entire city of Jerusalem was shaken. The nation of Israel was shaken. And those early Christians in fact, reached out to the entire known world with the good news of Jesus Christ. The church was not a sleeping giant when it began. It was a powerful, unstoppable force. That is true today as well. We may not often see that in our country, but if we look beyond our borders... To other parts of the world, we will see that exact same church still moving forward today. If we look in nations in Africa, South America, Korea, even if we look in countries where the church is facing persecution and opposition, as the early Christians did in Jerusalem, the fastest growing churches in the world are in China. Where the church is not allowed to have buildings, but just meets in homes. In Indonesia, the church is rapidly growing. The most Muslim country in the world. The church can be, was, and is an unstoppable force. Places where people are seeing God's miracles happen. Impossible victories are being won. Prayer is literally being answered as people watch. So that leaves us to think about this disconnect. What is the difference about our churches and what we see or don't see and what happened in the first church and what is happening in some other places? Does God not love us as much? Or is there something else? I think there's some things we need to think about in our churches today. Our churches in this country. And to begin with, I'd like to ask you, what is our focus? If you had to describe the focus of our churches in the U.S. today, the message of our churches in the U.S. today, think for a minute about what what that would be. How would you describe that? I would describe that message in our churches today as this. What God can do for you. If you will love God, here's what he can do for you. And if you'll come here, if you'll come to the church, if you'll be a good church member, here is what God wants to do in your life. What he wants to give you, this good life of health, of prosperity of comfort, that he would bless your plans. And that is very often the message that we give to people, the message that we enjoy, we pray for. It reflects our culture, doesn't it? A culture we live in that says, it's about me. And yet, what I want us to wrestle with a little bit today is, while that may be the common theme we often see in our churches today, it is very different from Jesus' original invitation. And what he called people to as he said, come follow me. Turn over to Luke 14, if you would. There were large crowds following Jesus. He was giving away free food. He was creating miracles. He was healing people. Everybody wanted to come and see what Jesus was doing. They wanted a part of this miraculous teacher. And he said, I need to clarify with you what it means to follow me. Because it's not just about free food. And it's not just about me healing you and fixing your problems. You need to understand what it means to follow me. And he says some things that in our world today we would say are very harsh. And are certainly not ways to build a big crowd at church. Let's read what he said. I want to begin in verse 25 of Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus... And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then he talks about counting the cost if you want to build a tower and, and counting the cost if you want to fight a war. But then he says down there in thirty three thirty four, 34 In the same way, any of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's a challenging call of Jesus. That if we want to follow him, it's not so he can just leave us as we are and make our life more comfortable as we want our life to be. In fact, his call is to a level of sacrifice and commitment that says, I give it up for you. Whether that's my family, whether that's myself, whether that's carrying a cross, whether that's giving up what I'm attached to. Whatever that is, you have to be willing to do that if you're going to follow me, Jesus says. That's what it means. That's the invitation of Jesus. Now I want you to understand why Jesus asks us to do that. That radical sense of sacrifice and giving up and following. And in some ways, this is what we talked about this last fall as we looked for this series of follow me and what Jesus was really asking us to do individually as Christians if we follow him. He asks us to give up, first of all, because he has something greater for us. A greater way of living, a greater relationship with God. But he knows we can't experience that if we aren't willing to give up what we currently have so we can have this new life, we have to be willing to give up the old life instead of wanting God to make our old life work. He says it this way in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he quickly hit it again, and then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now I want you to notice what Jesus says here, and the why he asks us to give up everything. Notice the man does it with joy. It's not reluctantly, it's not a case of, well, if I have to... It's like, I can't wait to sell it all. Biggest garage sale in history. Everything is for sale. Come on down. And as he's seeing all his stuff go, he's not weeping a tear. Because he has found something so much better. He can't wait to sell it all so he can get enough money to buy what he found in the field. Jesus said, that's how it is with my kingdom. Yes, I'm asking you to give up all. It may be family relationships. It may be suffering with a cross. It may be all those things we're so attached to. But when you understand what I have for you, this new life with me in relationship with the God of the universe, God dwelling in you, and what we have planned for you, It's not giving up. It's how quick can we sell it so that we can have this new treasure. Elsewhere he calls it a pearl of great price. And that's why he asks us to follow him no matter what I will ask of you. Because there will be giving up. There will be sacrifice. There will be letting go of what used to be special. But what I have for you is so much better. But you have to be willing to let go of that. Now there's another reason Jesus asks us to give all that up. In Luke 14. And I confess to you I never noticed it till I was preparing for this sermon. How he puts these two together. And the other reason Jesus asks us to give all of this up. And follow him in this kind of extreme way. Is Luke 15. We won't read the whole chapter. But it is the only place in the, in the gospels. Where Jesus tells three parables to drive home the same point. And in Luke 15 you will find the parable of the, of the lost sheep. The lost coin and the lost son. And all those parables are told to drive home. How much God cares for all those who don't know him, who are far from him, the sinners. But you see, Luke 15 has everything to do with Luke 14. The other reason Jesus asks us to give up is because of the need seen in Luke 15. It's not just about me. And his invitation isn't just about me. It is to understand God's heart and to share that concern that is from God's heart for all those who are far from God that God desperately loves and cares about. And you see, haven't I just described Jesus' own life? whether we want to go over and look at Philippians 2 and how he left heaven and emptied himself to take on human form to become a servant to die on a cross so that those who needed saving can be saved. He gave up everything gladly to do that. And in Luke 14 he says if you want to follow me I need you to be willing to do the same thing. I need you to join me. And you can't join me if you're not willing to sacrifice too, because that's how we work. And it's the only way we can get the job done. And so as I've had to sacrifice, I'm going to ask you to sacrifice too. And I'm going to ask you to go to a new level of commitment. And a new level of obedience that may involve some suffering, some letting go. But this new life you're going to find, it's not losing. It's a new life. A life with God, with me. And a life that offers you significance way beyond a human career, or a portfolio, or the best hobby you might ever find. It is way beyond that. But you got to follow me. And you see, that's when the church becomes an unstoppable force instead of a sleeping giant. When the church is populated with Christians who understand that call of Christ, and it's not just so he will help us be healthy and wealthy, or comfortable, or successful. It is when we understand he is calling us to a higher life a life of eternal purpose in God's work the church God intended God did not go to all the work he has done to create the church so it could be a sleeping giant such a church that is simply following Jesus' example and his call and living out his kind of life, that kind of church today would be viewed as radical. And in the U.S. setting today, it would be radical. The amazing thing is there's other parts of the world where it would be called normal today. In the first century, it would have been called normal. Most of us in this room, I would suspect, and I know most in this room, are believers, sincere believers. And I think it would be safe to say I know the answer if I were to ask you this question. In 2015, if God came to you and says, I have one thing I really want you to do, how would you respond? I think most would say, okay, God, if that's what you really want me to do, I I do want to be your child. I do want to follow you. I do want to love you. I I want to please you. You are God. You're my father. You're my savior. I want to follow you. I think I know what God would ask us to do. He would ask us to wholeheartedly follow him. And to rise up and be his people. Committed to doing what he needs us to do. What is important to him. And he's shown us what that is. That he would care not just for those of us in this room, but that he cares for all of those in this world. He is still the God of Jonah. The God who cares about Nineveh. And the God who pursued Jonah and says, I need you to care like I care. And at the end of the book, when Jonah laments Nineveh's conversion, and he's complaining to God, saying, I knew you'd forgive him. And God's response is, How can I not care? Hundreds of thousands of people who can't tell their left hand from their right hand. How do you expect me to not care? Do you understand today God looks at not just Nineveh but our entire planet and says, how can I not care hundreds of millions of people who cannot tell their left hand from their right hand? And God says, that is why I ask Jesus to leave heaven, leave the comfort of his throne at my right hand and take on the form of a servant and die on a cross. And Jesus says to us, if you want to be my disciple, I need you to join me. Join me in caring. And you see, that is the greatest reward we can find in our life. To join Jesus in an eternal cause of being God's people, living for God. And it won't leave us comfortable. It won't let us just be who we are and God makes our life work. It will be him calling us to a higher life, a different life. And yes, it will involve some sacrifice. But like the man who found the treasure, it will be with joy that we say, gladly, for what I'm gaining. And for the difference I now see my life making. I've entitled this sermon series Radical Together. Becoming the church God wants us to be. I have to give you a little backdrop to this and how we came to this point. It happened last summer. Some of you know every summer I try and spend some concentrated time praying and asking God, what what should I preach about in the coming year?" And normally when I go on this kind of retreat, I take one or two books along with me, although my purpose isn't to read books, but to pray and read the Bible and ask God, what do you want me to say to Andover Christian Church in this coming year? Never before has it happened like it did this last summer. And and I guess part of the prayers were also I'm 63 now, and I've got 40-plus years of sermons. And so it was like, okay, another sermon series. And what will that be about? And I only took one book this year, and it was sort of a random thing. I believe it was the Spirit, because I have a stack of books I want to read. They're on the shelf right by my door, waist high. You can go look. There's always a stack there. And as I was getting ready to leave on this retreat, I sort of rifled through the stack. And for what reason, a book by David Platt called Radical just sort of came to the top of the stack, and I took it. And so as I was in the retreat, I was also reading this book. And the more I read this book, the more I kept coming back to it and saying, God, if you had any desire for Andover Christian Church, I'm afraid it's this book that we would be a church that is willing to be seen as radical simply because we want to follow you. And we want to be your church and let you use us in whatever way you want. And that seems radical anymore. And I began planning for this sermon series last summer But I also realize that a church can't be radical for Jesus unless it's full of people who are totally committed to following him individually. And so this fall, we looked at the sermon series, Follow Me, and what it means for us one-on-one to follow Jesus. And what that looks like, and what he'll ask of us, and how he'll live with us and in us, and change us. And this is the second half of that. Follow Me looked at what it means individually, and this sermon series is going to look at what's it mean for us as a church, as a community of faith, a collective group of individuals following Jesus. What does it mean for us together to really follow Jesus and be His church? I'm not really preaching the books, but I will point you to them. The one on the left is the book Radical, and then he later wrote the second one, Radical, together. It's just a pastor of a church in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm not, this isn't a, well, let's become Willow Creek like Bill Hybels. It's just some very thoughtful stuff, and A lot of stuff of what God's doing around the world in churches who are saying, I want to follow you. Is it worth everything? Because that's really what Jesus says to us. I need you to be willing to let go of everything. With joy, sell it all. Because there's something greater. Is it worth it? I think it is. To have Jesus... And to be the kind of follower he says, that's what I need you to do. That's who can follow me. And to see what he can do through our lives. There is not a person in this room right where you live, right where you work. There is not a person in this room that God doesn't already have plans for you and how he would like to use you as a part of this work of his that is so way beyond, God, will you give me the next promotion? So much more important than that. So much bigger than that. It is worth it all. And it is so much more than being a sleeping giant. It is becoming that church that touches this community, this county, and around the world. And knowing that we are a part of something God's doing. And we just get to help in little ways. Is it worth it? Yeah, it is. I've been privileged to meet some Christians in other countries who are living in this radical kind of way, and they would say, never look back. It's worth it. I, I have this picture in my mind of this church in Cluj, Romania. It's up in Transylvania, where Dracula comes from. Beautiful area in the center of Romania, up in the mountains, and the city of Cluj, but this was back when Christians were persecuted. And the pastor had been put in prison, so God used a man in the church that was a house painter. And he was an evangelist beyond power. God used this ordinary house painter. And hundreds of people were coming to Christ in the midst of persecution. And they were going to have a baptism one Sunday in the river. Over 300 people were getting baptized. And the police found out and they moved in with soldiers to block the river. So they just fanned out into multiple locations all over Transylvania and had the baptisms anyway. And on Tuesday nights, they had a teaching time because God had raised up another pastor who wasn't an evangelist. He was a discipler. And you had all these hundreds of new Christians who were hungry to learn what it meant to follow Jesus. And I got to sit one night in this room with over 300 new Christians. And Joseph was teaching. And everybody there had a notebook And everybody there had their Bible open. And this was in a country where the secret police were trying to wipe out the church. And these people had lost sometimes their careers, their future, their college admissions, because they were following Jesus Christ. And they never blinked. They said, it's worth it. And I think of the pastor I've told you about who pastors a Christian church in Tehran and knows that sooner or later he will be arrested. But until that time, he just ministers every week, every month, as God is bringing people to him and his church. And he says, I wouldn't look back. Give that up? No. And you see, that's what God invites us to. That kind of life. If we will become radical for him, which just means following Jesus. And asking God, is there anything you can do with me? I'm available. Is there anything you need from me? It's yours. I'm yours. And that's all Jesus was asking of us in Luke 14. Whatever I need, will you give it to me? And I want to ask you in the next ten weeks, as we look at what it means to be radical together, will you say that to Jesus? Will you say, whatever you can use from me, it's yours. I will gladly sell this to find the pearl of great price. Life in your kingdom, an unstoppable force changing our world. Let's pray. Father, it is always a danger that we get comfortable. And we come to church and we feel good and we sing some songs and we spend time with our friends and we go home for a week to do it again. And yet that's not the church we see in the New Testament. And it's not the church that is moving forward even though it faces persecution in in China or Muslim countries. And it's not the church you need us to be the church you want us to be. I know you have work you want Andover Christian Church to do for you. I don't know what it is, but I know you do. And Father, I pray you will find us willing to do whatever you ask, give you whatever you need, even if that means we are called radical that we would simply be your church, that unstoppable force that for 2,000 years has moved forward. Help us be your church as you want us to be. In your Son's name, amen.